For a brief moment this week, Suns fans sent themselves into a frenzy thinking DeMontis Sabonis would end up here in Phoenix in a trade for DeAndre Ayton. On today's Locked on Suns, we'll talk about why anyone who even let that cross their mind is, frankly, should be ashamed of themselves. And we'll also recap this game against the Sixers, another big win coming up on Locked on Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a contributor at suns.com, as well as Dime Magazine, and a credentialed media member covering the Suns the past five seasons. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen each and every day. Closing in on 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, that is Kelly Oubre. He is a bobblehead. He could be yours if we get to 1,000 subscribers. Thank you for listening on any podcast platform as well. You can find us at LockedOnPHXSuns on social media to keep up there as well. Let's dive in, guys. Trade deadline week already living up to its billing. All-Stars changing teams. CJ McCollum changing teams. I I don't know how to describe him, but we are seeing craziness, and that is where we will start. Um... The deal here that I want to get into is whatever happened. I, I think I called it uh, on on Twitter the a stupid moment in Suns history, um, and it feels like it was almost incredibly, almost entirely fabricated. And what I'm referring to is this half rumor, half I guess talking point. I I could not tell you what necessarily inspired it and I just still do not believe it DeAndre Ayton potentially being on the market in a DeMontis Sabonis trade now of course completely moot because Sabonis is on his way to Sacramento in a very bizarre trade Tyrese Halliburton and all that we don't need to get into that though this is a sun show those teams do not matter in the grand scheme of what the Suns will do the Kings the Pelicans the Blazers anyone who has made a trade probably will not factor into what the Suns ultimately accomplish, but this Aiton piece is relevant. So I will throw up what I think really, at least for me, made me take it a little bit more seriously and kick it into high gear a little bit. And this is from Jake Fisher. Put it up on YouTube. A handful of personnel around the league have recently mentioned Phoenix's intriguing interest in acquiring Sabonis, but while the Suns are not expected to make any major move this week that could jeopardize the chemistry and momentum of the NBA NBA's winningest team, league figures have pointed to a potential sign-and-trade this offseason that would conclude the Suns' contract standoff with DeAndre Ayton and, ex- and in exchange, Lance Sabonis in the Valley. So what I think Fisher was really doing there was laying the breadcrumbs for potential offseason trade. Now, even that seems pretty unlikely now that we have seen um, he's going to the Kings, and unless the Kings flame out so spectacularly and decide to reset yet again and send Sabonis out. It seems like they are at least in the short term planning to build around Fox and Sabonis, but that did not stop a lot of people, both fans who I saw on social media, local analysts, voices, whatnot, talking about this potential. Uh, It did not stop anybody from fully buying into it and in some situations almost supporting it. And 
even as as soon as this week. And that's the part that I, I just absolutely cannot wrap my mind around and why I said at the top of the show you should be ashamed of yourself because, not to make it all about myself, but I talked about this with Aaron Edwards a couple of weeks ago and you all tore me uh, a new one for even suggesting that you should maybe not go all in for a player like Eric Gordon, that maybe he wasn't enough of a difference maker between where the Suns are now and winning a championship that it would be worth giving up a first round pick or whatever it was going to take. That I just had some hesitation about fully believing that he was that guy. Now that could still happen. Eric Gordon is another conversation for another day. But what I don't understand is the inconsistency with people shouting at me about that because you do whatever it takes to win a championship. That was the message that I repeatedly heard when I was skeptical about Gordon, and I remain somewhat hesitant about Gordon. I don't know if he checks all the boxes the Suns have, but I was actually sort of convinced. Yes, if you give up a future pick or Jalen Smith or even Landry Shamit, I don't know, it is worth it if it results in a championship if it helps you in any way shape or form get 5 10 even 1% closer to a championship you do it well what an Aiton trade now for someone like Sabonis would do would get you miles further away from a championship and it seemed like people were buying into this idea because oh if you aren't sure that you will get Aiton on an extension, or on a new contract, I guess at this point, come the summer, then his value, his his trade market might be best right now. Sure, maybe. (laughs) I mean, you're not going to hear an argument from me that it, it might make sense in a vacuum to go ahead and move a guy who you may not keep. I mean, I believe they probably have... Not much of a better choice than to keep him, so I don't know if I quite agree that he would be gone, but if you think that, maybe, yeah, from a value standpoint, you go ahead and you make that flip. But if the goal is ruthless, aggressive, at all costs value in terms of winning a title, then I have no idea why anyone would even entertain the thought of a DeAndre Ayton trade, even for a great player. Pascal Siakam, I know we've all sort of batted around in our minds in the past. Probably on the whole a better player, at least a more versatile player on both ends of the floor than DeAndre Ayton. Maybe there's a deal to be had. Not right now. You would not hear me making an argument to trade DeAndre Ayton for anybody that's been talked about. James Harden, Bradley Beal, Ben Simmons, nothing. No, no, no. None of them. That's not what is going to get you a title. And we thought last year may have been the Suns' best chance to win a title. Well, guess what? They look better this season, and to jeopardize that in any way makes absolutely no sense. Value be damned. I do not understand any of that argument. And the last thing I'll say is the specifics of this particular trade. I do not get why anyone would buy that Sabonis would be a solid fit here as a center. I don't think anyone who says that is realizing or taking into consideration how much DeAndre Ayton means to this defense. And if you're switching him in for a player like Sabonis, who is 
probably on the whole a minus defensively, then I don't know what type of team you think this is going to be, but I promise you it will be a completely different type of team and a far worse team unless other changes were to really happen around that. And then that, that Sabonis is not an option anymore, but I just think that type of player, like, come on, guys, we have to be realistic about what Aiton is and if you were ever to replace him, because that could be a conversation this summer. Maybe they do not keep him. Well, you need a rep- you need to replace a lot of the skill and productivity that he provides, and Sabonis does not do that. The last thing is, just from a sort of, I guess, nerdy kind of roster-building standpoint here, DeAndre Ayton, the value of trading him now is under the, I guess, I wouldn't even say assumption, but more fear that he could, you know, leave for nothing. That's that's the, 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 the scariest phrase in free agency in sports is leaving for nothing. We all hate that our team sometimes end up doing that, and I don't think that's really what happens anymore. I mean, the NBA hardly has free agency at this point. It has trades, and if there's some situation in which DeAndre Ayton were to leave... Unless he wants to go to a bad team with cap space and just take a bunch of shots, which I don't know. I don't know what's in his his mind. Maybe that's an option for him. But if he wants to go to another team where he would actually win, it's going to be a trade. And so if that's the case, he needs the Suns to help him do that. And that means that even if they do lose him in the summer, which I still think is unlikely... There's not that fear of watching him walk away for no return. You will probably be getting something in return for DeAndre Ayton, whether you trade him now, which you absolutely should not, or you wait and see what happens in the summer, and oh, by the way, maybe win a title in the process. None of it made any sense. Again, you should all be ashamed if you actually thought that made sense, and I had to give my two cents. But let's talk about this game, guys. Suns win. Yet again, 114-109, complete a three of four road trip. Now winners of three straight after that dud against Atlanta defensively. Let's break it all down. Big night from Booker, big night from Bridges. We'll get into all of it first, though. Today's episode brought to you by Prize Picks, which, as you might remember, is the easiest daily fantasy game in the NBA landscape. You need to try prize picks if you have not already, because again, it is the best, but it's also the easiest daily fantasy game on the NBA. We are offering our lockdown listeners $50 free if you use the promo code NBA and your first prize pick entry scores one point, which of course it will. Let me explain. Prize picks allows users to pick two to five players and an over or under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you versus the projections. So no opponent, no round robin, no tournament, no pool of opponents. You are competing directly against those over-unders in any sport, in any statistical category. So let's say you're looking toward the Super Bowl this weekend and you like the over on Joe Burrow rushing yards. That feels pretty good considering he's going to be running around in the pocket. But let's say you also like the over on Devin Booker points this Thursday against the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, you can pick both of those. You can hit the over on both. And if you win, you start to pile up the cash. That is how it works. That is as simple as it is. So of course, you're going to score a single point when you use that promo code NBA. And of course, you are going to get that $50 free courtesy 
of prize picks. Again, that's promo code locked on. Uh, that's promo code NBA for our locked on listeners when you sign up at prizepicks.com or on the prize picks app to get $50 free. 114 109 is the final score here after a uh, pretty impressive road trip, capping off a pretty impressive road trip tonight. Very much the victim, I think the Suns were, of, uh, of the road whistle. We saw some strange technicals. We saw in this game a couple of moments, including a foul against Joel Embiid on a jumper. And uh, I believe, a, what was the other one? Two where, where the whistle just came like almost 30 seconds after the play had, had unraveled. And uh, aside... Uh, but, uh, Instead of all that, the Suns were, in spite of all that, the Suns were able to go ahead and win this game. So what I think we have to start with, what I think the big takeaway here, we won't have those usual recap segments to close the show, but we actually will do a Bridges breakout watch in the next segment. So talk a little bit about Mikhail and his game and what he showed on this road trip, which I don't want to overreact to, but 20 plus in, in several games in the past couple of weeks and looking incredible, but we have to start with how the Suns played defense on Joel Embiid. And, you know, we've all watched the Sixers in the playoffs at different times throughout the past several years. They were a minus four tonight in his 33 minutes, but things got even worse when he was off the court. Andre Drummond was also a minus three, and the Suns, most importantly, were really able to take advantage in the minutes when Embiid was not out there. They were able to keep quiet the majority of the non-Embiid players. Tobias Harris went for 30, but Maxi, Curry, Danny Green, Furkan Korkmaz, like nothing else was really working outside of Embiid. And uh, Harris was able to get going quite a bit in, I would, you know, transition in some of these, these, these moments that we've seen him excel. But what I think I came away from, what, what, I, what I came away from this game thinking is, The Suns learned a lot from guarding Nikola Jokic in the second round last year. It felt very similar in terms of game plan and mindset defending Embiid. What I mean by that is you see Embiid only had three assists. He only got to the free throw line six times. And again, no one else aside from Harris was really able to get going, but that wasn't so much of the two-man game between Harris and Embiid, so I I hesitate to really say that it was Harris acting as much of an outlet for Embiid as much as it was those guys, you know, orbiting each other a little bit on opposite uh, wavelengths. So there are some through lines, right, with what we saw against Denver in the playoffs last year and some of what I just laid out there. I would say trying to keep the defense against Embiid to single coverage is probably the first and foremost takeaway you you come away from this game with. They did send doubles, but they were often very late and strategically placed. When, for instance, Embiid already had pretty deep post position, okay, then we're going to send a double from the weak side. Some from a defender that his man is, is a, a couple of passes away or a really difficult angle away from where Embiid is. And very late in the clock where he might not want to try to move the ball because the shot needs to happen. 
right? So we saw a lot of moments like that. We saw a lot where Aiton or McGee just had to try to keep him in control by themselves. We also very much saw a let's stay home on everybody else, right? Um, because you're not having to send those aggressive doubles, because the Sixers didn't really have a, a threatening ball handler in this game because Seth Curry was in foul trouble and Tyrese Maxey didn't really do much. You didn't have to really keep track of you know a pick and roll game or that two man game between Curry and Embiid or any of those things. So you were able to just say, all right, you know, isolate, post up, do your thing, and we're going to make sure no one else beats us. Really, the only times that I felt like the Suns were threatened by Embiid is when he started to go into like, you know, complete unicorn freak mode, basically. Uh, He was, you know, over 50% from the field, but only two of eight from deep. And again, only six free throw attempts. That's as crazy as it sounds like you don't want to give up 34 points to anybody. But I don't know. I come away from that feeling like, yeah, he's a potential MVP. If you're keeping him to 34 points on mediocre efficiency, good but not great efficiency, and very few assists, very few free throws, I think you feel like you did your job. The only times that I think he really felt like a massive game plan challenge, a mismatch in a a really big way was when he was facing up or operating on the perimeter because there's just, I mean, it's it's basically him and Kat and Jokic. Those are probably the only three players. Maybe you put Giannis in there as well who can do that. So when he's able to, you know, dribble drive and kick out to a shooter or draw a foul and and make a layup, like some of the stuff he's doing is is out of this world. And I think it's tiring. There were definitely moments in this game where he looked exhausted. He only played 33 minutes and it wasn't because of foul trouble or anything. So it wears on him to be running that much and to be isolating and posting up that much, not getting those easy looks or being able to dish it to his teammates for for points that way. And I also just think that the degree of difficulty is really high, so it's not the most efficient thing for him to necessarily be doing. Outside of those moments where he was able to dip into his bag a little bit like that, the Suns had a game plan and they executed it, and I I could not help but think that it was in large part based on what they learned guarding Jokic, because the plan was the same. Single coverage, don't foul, and don't let anybody else beat you. If he scores 40 and, and this, the team as a whole only scores 100, well, you, you did your job and, and you're probably going to win the game. So the Suns seem to have a very executable, replicable game plan against those post scorers. Um, talked a little bit about JaVale's, JaVale McGee's limitations. Embiid was definitely able to do some damage when he was isolated against McGee more so than Ayton. I've been talking about that this week with uh, with Vucevic last night, but on the whole, the Suns did their job, and obviously the W proves that. Let's talk about Mikhail Bridges, though. Bridges breakout watch here. I want to broaden out a little bit. I mean, 23 points, 20-plus again for him. Incredible stuff, but he's doing it in a way that I think we've all kind of been waiting for, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it is time to revisit his growth. We'll do that right after a quick word from Bilt Bar. This year... We're probably already to the point where New Year's resolutions are being rethought. Well, I'm not struggling at all because I make it, I mean, really every year I I use the New Year to remind myself, hey, don't put bad stuff in your body, eat right, do the right things, you know what you need to do, get it done, and Bilt Bar helps me do that. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution at all because I actually like them. Not only do I love the classic Bilt Bar with my 
go-to favorites like peanut butter brownie or coconut, but also Bilt Bar Puffs. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, and they're not just a protein bar. They are really more like a dessert. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft, they're pillowy inside, and they have delicious new flavors exclusive to the Puff line, which are cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, all of them delicious. Lemon cheesecake actually was one of my favorites. Delicious stuff. You hardly even notice the protein is there. It really just tastes like a candy bar. Low calorie, high protein, low carb, packed all of it with that good, good protein that you know you need. So check out those exclusive puff flavors. Try the puffs if you haven't. Go back to your normal favorite like coconut or mint brownie. Check it all out, guys. They're constantly updating. New this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. You get the drill. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Mikhail Bridges, 20-plus points in what feels like just about every game on this road trip and, and even prior to. He has been on a roll lately. He has been handling a heavy, heavy minutes load without much problem, and he has been scoring efficiently. 9 of 14 tonight, 8 of 10 from two-point range, and I think that's probably the best way to dive in here. Um My trepidation about really buying into Bridges becoming that kind of third option as a scorer, as a shot creator, as a guy that you can run plays for in a moment where you need a basket. Part of why I was hesitant on all that is I didn't feel like Bridges would drive to the basket and finish. I was worried that that part of his game was going to require a certain level of aggressiveness and physicality that he had not demonstrated. And then as a, you know, a secondary thing to that, wasn't going to be a guy who could get to the line very easily. And he's answering a lot of those questions. He is proving that he actually is capable of some of those things. And it just took him, I mean, 40, 50 games before he was necessarily up for it. But it feels like we are there with Bridges. And I guess, of course, the big question from this point on will be, can it can it be consistent? Because there were moments early in the year where you saw flashes, but I think he's now put together, you know, basically two weeks of legitimate scoring. And in the ways that I just said, I mean, the ways that we hadn't seen before, he has basically, I don't want to say mastered, but he is he is incredibly comfortable getting to his turnaround, his fallaway jumper, right? He knows nobody can block it. Nobody can even get a hand in his face because he is taller. We talked about how the Suns are using the mismatches that he's facing to get him in advantageous positions. Talked about that on the show previously. But in addition to that, even if a guy is technically, quote unquote, a small forward, let's say in this case, you know, Matisse Thibel is guarding him. Well, Bible's probably, you know, around the same height, maybe a little bit shorter, but nowhere near as long. So there's not going to be much contest to what Bridges throws up there. He knows that and he's comfortable getting to that shot from a variety of different places. Now, what I like if it didn't always have to be a fall away or, a, you know, a turnaround or whatever, he's making it a little hard on himself, but he makes them. So can't complain with the end result. 
Beyond that, though, he is getting a little bit more comfortable with that floater and not not just in those, you know, fun moments where he's putting on the floaties like Jay Crowder does, but in actual, you know, I'm going to drive, make a read on if I can get all the way to the basket and then pull the trigger on a floater right away. That part of his game is coming along pretty nicely, too. And then last piece is he is not afraid. I think he's his growth as, you know, with some of those in-between scoring locations, mid-range, floater range, etc., when he is able to kind of get in rhythm with that stuff, I think it just gives him the confidence to say, hey, you know, they can't do anything about me from 10 feet or from 6 feet. They're not going to do anything about it from 3 feet. So why don't I go ahead and test this and see if I can actually, you know, get to the basket, put a layup up, try to draw some contact, try to finish. And there's been a little bit of a mean streak in him as well. That physicality, I think, comes more naturally to him than, than maybe many of us realized, and he's embracing it. Four free throw attempts tonight. Like, if he's able to make his twos with how easy that is for him, because a lot of them are still going to come in transition and off cuts and, and these things, if he can add a little bit of that jumper in there, he's going to make most of those, and he's going to be good for his usual, you know, four to seven three-point attempts and, and 40 plus percent on those. He doesn't have to do a lot from the free throw line. He doesn't have to have, you know, 10 drives per game or anything crazy like that. It just has to be keeping the defense honest, making them respect him from all three levels and making it harder to know what he's going to do. If you know it's always going to be a three or you know it's always going to be either a three or, you know, a, a continuation of the ball movement and he's going to give it up. Well, it, you don't have to necessarily give him the same level of respect. You don't have to put an actual defender on him. You don't have to account for him, you know, running plays. But this version of Bridges that we've seen is impossible to predict. He is going to have all the off-ball stuff, all of the intuitive .5 stuff, but he's also going to be a guy that you have to keep track of, that you have to actually you know, close out on and, and be balanced with how you're going to keep a guy on him and, you know, be ready for him to do a little bit inside the arc as well. And if that's something that can truly continue and it doesn't have to be 20 plus, you know, but if he can be that throughout the rest of the season and, and be on game plans in the playoffs in that way, I mean, this offense, man, uh, it, it gets incredibly difficult to guard. We're not even talking about Cam Johnson or Cam Payne or DeAndre Ayton. You know, it's just just that alone makes makes it a, a bunch more <laughs> incredibly more difficult to contain this offense. So I'm I'm thrilled to watch it. It's fun. He's a guy that maybe more than anyone else on this team I root for. So I, I could not be uh, more along for the ride here. But I, you just have to take a second sometimes when a guy is playing his butt off to just uh, tip your hat to him. We'll see if it continues on Thursday night, rematch of the NBA Finals. I'm um, honestly already anxious. But we also have a ton of trade stuff to get to between now and then. Aaron Edwards will be here tomorrow. I'll also, hopefully, if we do get trades and they're early enough prior to game time, I will, which they will be, the trade deadline is midday, I will probably have the time to do an emergency podcast, hopefully, we will see what uh, what what the tide brings in, but uh, that's the plan for the rest of the week. You guys enjoy 
your day off from having to watch a game. I will enjoy it as well. And we will all be back here Thursday to catch up on the rest of the moves and the rest of the Bucks game and everything else. Thank you guys for making Locked On Suns your first listen today. Now go make Locked On Bets your second listen to get ready for the big game this weekend.